The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their asherim, beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the, as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall never that shall burn forever. Alright, very interesting. Look at the contrast. The the Gentiles on the ends of the earth coming to the Lord, but Judah, what do you see about them in verse one? written down. Yeah. Where are the sins written? In hard things. Like oh, their hearts. <laughs> hard things. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Wow, that's an interesting statement. If your sin is written on the tablet of your heart, what that what is that saying about your sin? Go deep, yeah. This is not just superficial sin. This is very deep, deeply within them. You know, and what's his, it, what is it written therein? With the iron stylus, with the diamond point. Now what does it mean, an iron stylus with a diamond point? What do you know about iron? It's hard. Hard. What do you know about a diamond? It's extremely hard. So if this sin is etched, you know what a stylus is? Yeah. What would you say? Like a pen, more or less? Pointer to use for your iPad or, or your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you've got this iron stylus with diamond point that's permanently etching the sin in the character and nature of the people. That's Judah. That is how bad it is. You know, you've got a hard pointed chisel that's just, just firmly and permanently inscribed their sin in their heart. That's bad. When your sin gets to be permanently you know, engraved in your heart. Don't you hate when you, I don't know that you've ever done this, but don't you hate when you've got a whiteboard and you accidentally write on it with permanent marker instead of the, you know, the dry erase stuff? Does that happen to you, Micah? Yeah. At school? Yeah. And how does that work? Not too well. Yeah. It's pretty embarrassing. Kids, kids enjoy that, though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you took the wrong pen. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what he's showing. That's how deep. And on the horns of their altars even. 
Now, what was supposed to be on the horns of the altar? Blood. Of? Sacrifices. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly it. Instead, on the horns of the altar are their sins. That's not a very encouraging thing either. Um, and then he says, and there's a couple possibilities about how to understand this in verse 2. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their shearer by green trees on the high hill. Uh, let me, I'll throw out a couple of ideas. Both of these would seem to fit the context. It probably depends on which translation you're using as to which idea seems better. Now, it's, it's a hard passage to be sure how to translate it. But it may just mean that they are really well training their children on idolatry. <laughs> you know, they've given them a thorough education in the ways of worshiping the idols. Or it may mean that they are as attached to their idols as they are devoted to their children. <laughs> their idols mean as much to them as their kids do. Either way, that's bad. So what was God going to do to them in verses 3 and 4? Yeah, it's gonna, they're going to lose their wealth. Other people are going to take over their stuff. And they were going to lose their land. land. And they were going to lose their freedom. freedom. Yeah. So they're going to lose their wealth, their land, and their independence. Because they're going to get kicked out into a land uh, where they're going to serve other people. Because God's got a fire in his anger that's going to burn forever. God will pay them back for their wickedness. Comments and questions? Again, you know what I marvel at in a book like Jeremiah? How he comes up with so many analogies and figures and ways of... He, never, he, he says so many things using illustrations. You know, it's like the iron stylus with a diamond point. You would never have thought to say something like that, but it really gets the point across. So uh, I think that's helpful. 5 through 11. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, and the salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. And he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spread out its roots in the, by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, searched the heart. I tested the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods, but does not hatch, so is he who gets rich, but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. All right, do you see the contrast between five and six and seven and eight? Five and six talk about what kind of a man? Cursed. A cursed man. And seven and eight talk about a blessed. blessed man. Now what's the contrast in what they do? What does the cursed man do? He trusts in man. He trusts in man. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. What does the blessed man do in verse seven? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. 
And what's the result? In verse 6, the man who trusts in man, what happens? He's like what? A bush in the desert. Yeah, which is very dry. dry. You know, what kind of vegetation do you get in the desert? Cacti. <laughs> yeah. But pretty pretty barren stuff. Get any big tall trees in the middle of the desert? No. No. Maybe if there's a water source, you get some trees beside that. But in the desert itself, you know, no. Versus what what does the man who the blessed man look like in verse eight? Tree planted and water. Yeah. Which is thriving and green and prosperous and all that kind of stuff. I, so it's quite a contrast. Does that remind you of any passage, by the way? Psalm one. Psalm one. Isn't that similar to Psalm one? You know, especially in terms of the results of the two ways. Um, but now, what does it mean for a man to trust in man and make flesh his strength? In their case, what was he probably thinking about? What were they doing that showed their trust in man and in flesh? They were making alliances with other nations. I think that's exactly right. They were trusting these other nations, thinking that through political maneuvering, they could take care of themselves. Instead of turning to God, they're thinking, okay, if we get a mutual defense treaty with Egypt, that'll protect us. Or if we make an alliance with that other nation, we'll they're turning to man and thinking that trusting in man is going to you know, take care of them, really. It's just the opposite. It's barren, unproductive. It's like this bush in the desert. You know, versus the one who trusts in the Lord is like this thriving tree that has nothing to worry about. Why, do, why would we want to trust in an uh, alliance with a nation instead of trusting in God? They could turn on us. And okay, yes. We might be afraid of the nations if we don't do that. What else? What, is the, what do the nations have that God doesn't have? Yes. You can see them. It, it's more impressive to us because we can see them. Oh, did you see those weapons? Did you see the army they've got? You know, and so forth. We can't see God. So it seems like trusting in God is like trusting in nothing. We've got to trust in something we can see. So that's where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And realize that in the long run, trusting in the Lord will lead to a much better result than trusting in man and human alliances and anything else from man. Thoughts and comments through verse 8. Yes, Tasha. Um, we have a lot more control if we, or feel like we have a lot more control if we are trusting in men because we can kind of like push them and convince them into doing what we want and whenever we let God decide um, what happens, we don't really know necessarily what he's going to do and it may not be exactly what we wanted. Yeah, yeah, making an alliance with the Lord is a, a little less uh, something we can manipulate. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, we sometimes we don't want a God because, you know, he has demands on us and, you know, he will actually punish us if we don't do the right thing. We'll not be able to pull the wool over his eyes. 
A lot of reasons. Good, good point. Excuse me. And also with trusting in man, if you go back to uh, history, just pre World War II with Stalin and Lenin, I mean, they abolished God altogether and said, You worship us. Yeah. And they, the people trusted in their leaders and the leaders found them. We want to take over God's place. He says in verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You surely don't want to trust in the heart. The heart will deceive us. You know, don't trust in yourself. You know, don't follow your feelings, your emotions, your own ideas and insights. You know, do you know... One of the philosophies of our time is that people are basically good. Is that true? No. You know, you'll see parenting philosophies. You know, kids are basically good. So if you will just not interfere with them, you'll let them just grow up and do what they want, what they feel like, it'll be better. How does that work? Not very well. Really bad. You know, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod and reproof will drive it far away from him, wherever that is in Proverbs 29, I think, but uh, somewhere through there. You know, men are not basically good, and if you just let them alone, they'll do the right thing. That's not the way that works. Uh, so don't trust in your own heart. God searches the heart. He knows what's inside of us. And he will evaluate properly. What's the deal in verse 11? As a partridge that hatches eggs which is not laid, so is he who makes a fortune but unjustly. What happens in the long run? Doesn't get to keep it? Yeah. Just like the, the partridge's eggs hatch birds that the partridge doesn't get to keep because they're not really partridge eggs. So, in other words, ill-gotten gain is soon lost. You won't get to keep it if it's not really gained legitimately. I forget just where it is. There is a proverb that says almost exactly the same thing. I don't know if anybody remembers where that was at. But it had, takes ill-gotten gain, sprouts wings, and flies away, wherever that is. Proverbs is not a good book for me to remember where things are at in. <laughs> well, I didn't think through 11. All right, uh, 12 and 13. A glorious throne on high from, from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you, will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. All right. We're, we're still in this idea. Who's the one to trust in? Who's the one on the throne? It's the Lord. He's the true hope of Israel. You forsake him and you'll be put to shame. In other words, you'll be disappointed. It won't work out well for you if you don't trust in the Lord. Those who turn away on the earth there's a debate about how to translate this. It may be those who turn away will be written in the earth. What if you write something in the dust on the ground? Yeah, good rain, it's going to be gone. 
versus writing what their sin being written with the diamond point and iron stylus in their heart. That may be the idea. If you don't trust in the Lord, you know, you're forgotten quickly um, because you're forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. You know, he's the true fountain of living water. You forsake him, you're nothing. You know, he's just trying to constantly bring them back to the idea we trust and depend on God. He's the one who's got the rule and the authority. He's the fountain of living water. He's the one we trust in. All right, comments and questions on that. All right, I think this is probably a good stopping place for us. We can stop here ready for uh, 1714, which will probably be who knows when. Next uh, July... Man, I don't remember, 19th and 20th?